0: The Deal Lawyer Podcast with John Andrews, powered by JMW Solicitors.
1: Hello and welcome to the Deal Lawyer Podcast. I'm John Andrews. Uh, it's been a while since our last one. We're back after the summer holidays, and I'm pleased to say that uh, this afternoon I'm joined by Mike Blood. Thanks, well, thanks for joining us, Mike.
0: Hey, hey, John. Yes, yeah, pleasure pleasure.
1: Mike, Mike I should explain is the uh, head of our corporates in Manchester <laughs> and more importantly is an eminent sports lawyer. Mike do you want to tell us a bit about your
0: uh, about your illustrious background before we get on to the new security? Yeah well yeah I would never describe it as illustrious but I've been involved in sports and the central sports since 1999. I had the sort of good fortune as we all do in our careers of of stumbling into a, into a role where I acted for Manchester United, pretty much as part of their in-house legal team, but operating out of a private practice for about eight years. So did the sale of the merchandising business and the sponsorship deal to Nike, Vodafone, signed Ruben Nisselroy, did various other sort of glamorous roles and, and sponsorship deals and, and, and everything else for Manchester United. But on the back of that, then... Yeah, you know, United were at the vanguard of, of of commercial sort of exploitation of of their brand, and and then other other football clubs wanted to sort of yeah sort of jump on the uh, on on the on the bandwagon, and not only football clubs within the UK, but then around the world as well. So federations from sort of Thailand, Jamaica, South Africa, you know, Middle East, Hong Kong, all sort of saw the the power of the Premier League and and sort of. Found their way to my door as somebody who'd, do, who'd worked with United, worked with the Premier League and, and, and sort of monetized the value in, 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 a, in the football business. So got to sort of, yeah, managed to look out really and get some, some, some great opportunities, yeah.
1: Oh, great. Well, I, I had the good fortune of being involved with you on a, on a, on a deal a, a year or so ago relating to a, a football club and it, and it made me realise during the course of that transaction that um, buying a sports club, a football club, whatever it is um, is very much like buying any other business the contracts and the considerations are similar Um, it also became quite clear to me during the course of that that there are some significant differences. So what would you say the difference is
0: between buying a sports club and any other type of business? Uh, I think there are probably three main differences. The the first difference, which is can apply to a normal corporate deal, is just the public and political background. You know, you, if you can and you can keep it quiet and it's out of the the, the sort of the, the realms of the press and the fans, then all being all well. But inevitably, at some stage, news will break, and there will be additional pressure, and and so. Who are you? What money have you got? What are your plans? Suddenly, rather than being your internal budget and your internal business plan, it suddenly becomes something that's broadcast around. And you've got to be prepared for that. And you've got to have, if you're acting for the, for the, for, for either side, either the owner of a football club, you've got to be ready for those questions. Why are you selling? Who are you selling to? Why is it going to be better? And, and if you're buying, you, you need to have those be armed in, in dealing with that. The other difference that is dealing with the regulatory piece now yeah we all you know we we work in a regulated industry we know the sra is all over us and we're buying a solicitor's practice we've got to deal with the sra you know whether it's competition markets authority whether it's it's is the fca is we often work in a regulated industry but the buying a football club you've got to deal with a, the fa initially to to make sure that everybody who's buying it is a fit and proper person they pass the owners and directors test but then you also need to work either with the football league if it's a football league club the national league if it's a, if it's a, a non-league club or the premier league if it's a premier league club and you need to work with their finance teams and say what is the source of your funds that's and 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 can you sustain this business going forward for 3 years what is your budget and and that's the that's the key because they've been burned so many times because it's it's seen as a trophy asset. There are a lot of tire kickers, as as John you and I know, to our detriment on who we acted for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. And, and classically, you can do all the due diligence in the world, and you can you can look into people, and you can look into your own clients, and you can look into who's buying this club. Have they got the wherewithal? Have they got the funds? Because it's all very well signing the check on day one for the uh, for the for the price but the real money is spent day 2 and day 2 to day sort of like 1000 when there's pressure to 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 improve the infrastructure the stands to sign players to increase wages you know all of those things need to be funded and and so dealing with the the football league or dealing with the premier league they want to know where's this money coming from is it sustainable? Is the plans that you've got for this football club sustainable? And 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 making sure that the money that is going to flow into the game is of proper and pucker source.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think from the from having the experience of doing that deal with you, um, initially it seemed, well, there's so many hoops to jump through, but you know, at the end of the day, justifiably so. And, and I think that deal was probably a perfect perfect example of that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, the just yeah, the justification is 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 clear now when you see so many so many of the lower league football clubs going potentially going out of business and and that's and and that's not just a business that is becoming insolvent. It's it it, it's, it can be as as you see on the positive side with Wrexham. Or other things, it's the lifeblood of the town. It's the identity of the town. It's yeah. It, it, cr- it creates there are a wider group of stakeholders that are more interested in it than it just being a company. It's beyond the employees. It goes, yeah, it goes I, I feel, further.
1: that's actually a really good point. And when you when you when you take into account, you know. How passionate football fans, for example, can be, how passionate rugby fans can be about their clubs. Um, that, that factor comes into it and ensuring that they're, you know, the heritage of those clubs continues and that they're in safe hands, I think, you know, is, is, is a key factor. And that sort of brings me on to the next question, really. I mean, there have been a few high profile acquisitions recently. I think Newcastle United and Chelsea. Um, sort of typically, how, how are these deals structured in terms of financing and, uh uh if so, yeah so so typically how are those deals structured
0: well uh, yeah and certainly in the premier league they've changed the rules and, and it applies in the football league as well you can't you the leveraging by debt over the assets of the football club is no longer permissible it used to be the case <laughs> you could sort of buy the club and then immediately sort of or on completion mortgage the stadium and 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 get your money there. You have to show that you've got funds from elsewhere. So consequently and and with the size of the of the price ticket for Newcastle and Chelsea, you've got to, yeah, you've got to find this your funds, your two and a half billion, your whatever, which is reportedly what Chelsea went for, maybe a bit more. And then, you know, Newcastle, you've got to find those funds and 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 convince the authorities, the Premier League, that the, the, the these are genuine. This is genuine free cash available, not only to buy it, but that you are not then going to to leverage the uh, and and mortgage the, the the assets and the main assets of the of the business. And in truth, you know, we looked at I looked at sort of buying Manchester United back in the day for a client, and and we and the price that was paid by the Glazers. Was so cheap when you you know even on a on a and on an asset net asset basis the value of the playing squad plus the value of the stadium was well in excess of what they paid for it right. and I think they, so people are now realizing that was a steal. You make money out of the Premier League. Mike Ashley sort of reportedly took sort of eighty to one hundred million pounds out each 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 year uh, in dividends. So. The, the structuring of those deals is very much, if you've got the cash, then you can buy it. You buy it as a trophy asset. Yeah. But it's still going to make you some significant returns. Yeah. Uh, so there's nothing, you know, in that sense, they're quite simple because they yeah. can't be leveraged. And they can't, you know, there's no debt. There's, there's very little, you know, there might be quite a lot of structuring and financing done behind the scenes in the acquiring groups structure where they pull together the free cash based upon leveraging of their own assets yeah but when you actually structure a deal to buy a football club it's almost it's it's cash on it's cash on the nail and you you write write a very 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 big check and you hand it over and it and it's 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 relatively simple from from that perspective albeit there might be some Greater degrees of complexity in in pulling that finance together in the, in the uh, you know Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos perfect example yeah you saying I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna put debt on Manchester United but well one you can't because that wouldn't be allowed but two yeah. actually all you're doing is creating internal loan structures and and leveraging your your existing sort of Ineos assets but
1: yeah so so when we're looking at sort of the whole process of buying a club um again another thing that that um i was surprised about is, is that the process whether you buy a sports club or any other company is is pretty similar so you, you've you got your traditional share purchase agreement with some specific uh specific clauses which relate to, to the to the club itself um and also you've got the due diligence process that needs to be undertaken and and we're probably all familiar if you listen to this podcast of, of, of the traditional assets such as freeholds leaseholds and in relation to, to sports clubs, we've got the stadium and training facilities. Um, but beyond those probably the greatest assets, particularly in football clubs will be their will be their players. Um, so what sort of due diligence do you carry out in relation to the, the players contracts? If you look at a Harland or a, or a Salah type player.
0: Yeah, again, you know I don't want to downplay the role here, but the the due diligence into the into the the player side is is relatively relatively simple. You're never going to get access to mm. medical records. Yeah, at all. it's just like sensitive personal data. It's it it's not going to come your way, which would yeah. be quite you know. You've just got to trust that if they're playing, they're fit, and and if they're not playing, then the reasons for the, them not playing is 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 is, 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 is truthful but the playing contracts are all standard playing contracts. Right, that's uh, what I was going to ask you So they're all they're all they're all in a form that has been negotiated between the players union and 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 the and the Premier League or, or the football league. So, you know, you can have, you know, riders to those contracts with some bonus payments and 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 maybe some image rights payments that are in there. Those are those tend to be financial, but the, the bare bones of the agreement are in a standard form. So you know, you you your due diligence into the playing contracts are yeah. Are there any options over it? Are there any extraordinary payments? But realistically, you know, you get a schedule of the details. And yeah, then, and and you know that that the the terms upon which your major assets are held is 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 set out in a in a in a standard form contract. So, not a huge amount needs to be done in respect to the due diligence. You look around. You sort of ask questions. You maybe instruct a private sort of detective if there's a couple of key assets you, you might want to have a look at, at their particular lifestyle because it right, seems right. to me that if you've got a key asset that's that's got a reputation, you might want to find out a little bit more about them. Yeah, than, than, than you can tell from reading or being accessed to a data room. So I do. I am aware of people that have instructed private detectives to sort of say. Is this individual's lifestyle is, is it going to jeopardize their value? Yeah. Is, is he going to pay out
1: his five year contract?
0: It, it, exactly. But again, very, very rare. Yeah that, that that actually someone does something so serious that it actually jeopardizes value there. And but in some respects, you know, sort of how do you value a football player's contract? You know, it's like it's it's one, it's what somebody's prepared to pay. But it's, you know, I mean, this is sometimes where the football fans say he's not worth 80 million pounds. Yeah. And it's like, well, he he might be, if he's young and he's got talent and he's got a huge amount of uh, number of years left on his fixed-term contract, then it's not just, just, it's not talent that is the sole arbiter of, of how much a transfer fee is. You know it's so many is is, is 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 he fit is he is he on an upward curve is he got yeah let's like say is, is is you know is is he bound contractually to stay within a club for a long period of time those are as important factors as 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 talent yeah and each one will add on to it so you get you get sometimes you get really really high prices for players that you wouldn't expect but it's all of those other factors that you'll pay you'll pay more for a for a for a sort of potentially talented 24 year old striker than you would for a for a, an established international defender of sort of who's 32. Yeah. yeah and and it's just so it's like it's not all about talent so yeah.
1: And, I guess, yeah and when you're looking at the value of a club i guess undertaking this due diligence process relations to the players and their contracts all forms part of, you know, the decision of, you know, are you getting fair value for you for what you're paying for? Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, and 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 like I say, the stadium is um, often valued and is stuck in there as a, as an asset. But what do you what do you do with the stadium if you haven't well, got a football team? So the stadium that, is only a means to deliver the revenue from the football team, or to deliver the revenue from from sponsorship, naming rights, or commercial or hospitality revenue. Yeah. So it's kind of in itself you can't the land value and the and the asset value of a stadium is again is a little bit sort of misleading
1: yeah well that's actually an interesting point right because um i I live quite near um the london irish training ground yeah Uh, as you've probably probably seen the london irish professional team um uh, has become insolvent but the, the the training ground, which was built, I'm going to probably say seven or eight years ago, which was for City, is a great facility, is ring fenced an entirely entirely separate company, and uh, yeah. the amateur club still plays there. Youth team still play there, and and, and I guess once the financial woes of the, of the club are sorted out, the professional team will restart, albeit in a lower in a lower division, at the lower league, and then we'll work the way back up from the same facility. So you, you're right, the property. In many cases, is almost irrelevant.
0: Yeah, as I say, it's 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 what it can deliver. Yeah, it's what it's, it, it's very much yeah it should be a, yeah it's it, it's almost a, a profit and loss sort of entry rather than a balance sheet entry because you can't you, you can't do a great deal with that although you can eventually over a period of time you can probably then you know, can create some sort of borrowing or mortgage. That that asset over time, well, the rules don't prohib- prohibit you from doing that, but they do prohibit you from doing it in relation to an acquisition. Yeah, so yeah. It, it depends when in the cycle you do that. So
1: yeah. So so I guess another I guess another big asset of, of any sports club would be some um, intellectual property, and um I'm guessing that can consist of a number of elements, and there'll be particular contracts you'll be looking, licensing rights and stuff like that you'll be looking for. Would that be right?
0: yeah i mean huge huge depending on the on 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 which brand and which club you're looking at yeah so yeah, the, yeah and, and so much work was done over so many years by football clubs to ensure that their crest and their branding was owned by them you know sort of the old manchester united crest was the city of manchester crest but clearly they couldn't own that so they developed over time a crest that they designed and they could use. Arsenal did, did the same. There was an there was an old crest, but they didn't actually own it. So they created some intellectual property and that brand and the ability to place that brand and the association with that brand and that name is the value. So in in all of the sponsorship deals, you know whether it's front of shirts or whether it's just an association to, to 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 sell your products or services in association with with club brands yeah you've got to make it you, you, that is that's a huge huge part of the value of a of a football club but it's still and it might increase but you know you look at the, the accounts of of most football clubs and it's your, it's it's your, it's your game day revenue that is still the biggest proportion of your sort of, uh, of of your of your profits and your and your revenue, you know you've got broadcasting rights. Clearly, they they've gone up over a period of time. You've got your sponsorship and your commercial rights. Again, they can grow depending on your brand. But for most clubs, it's this it's it's bums on seats. It's 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 it, it's match day revenue. It's programs. It's it's hospitality. It's the it's it's the boxes and everything else that still accounts for sort of 35-40% of, of, of even the big clubs revenue so it's a, it's an event business but with some great intellectual property as well and then the ability and that intellectual property and because they play in the league that everybody w- wants to watch you could say that that the events and the intellectual property merge to to provide a a product for the broadcasters to come in and buy. So what are they buying? They're buying a combination of both of that sort of match day event and 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 the, the football as well as the intellectual property because you're watching Manchester United and the brand and everything else that's associated with it. And then that's a big quarter of or third of the of the revenue that comes from the broadcasting. So but yeah in essence, you know I wasn't the due diligence that goes into football clubs, they are very, very simple businesses. Yeah, I and mean, at their at their heart. So, you know, not that many employees of most of all your important ones on standard contracts. You know, that's where the value comes in. You run events, maybe 25, 30 events a year from a from a stadium that you own is regulated in, in in quite an organized way, and you've got big chunky money coming in from the from the league which is associated with the broadcasting so you've got certainty of of revenue uh and, and and quite a a simple business model so why do so many people get it wrong
1: <laughs> well, i was I was just going to say to you but uh, given your clear vast experience in dealing with these types of businesses. Um, what, what advice would you give to somebody who was looking to buy uh, a, a sports club, be it a large or small club?
0: Uh, with that, yeah, that's the classic one, isn't it? How do you, how do you make a small fortune from football? You, you start off with a large fortune, is the, is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is, and yeah, my advice to, to somebody that was buying a club make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Because there's for, there's 360 days of misery and cost, and only five days of, of of pleasure. Yeah. But it can create it can create a family for you. I know people that have bought clubs that it creates creates a purpose in your life. Yeah. It creates a dynamic and an excitement that you can't generate, or many people feel that they can't generate it in a lawful way. Yeah, and, and it's a genuine and and, and excitement to say it creates a family and a belonging that people miss from either owning companies or being part of something, and yeah. and and, and, you, and you become you become immersed in something that is that that is bigger and it gives you a sense of purpose. And if that's your if that's your reason for buying it, and and I would also use the word rather than owning a club, you're a custodian of a club. Yeah. And, and you're just holding it for a period of time and then hopefully handing it over to the next custodian in a better position. And if that's your motivation and you've got pots of money to back those whimsical purchases or those dreams, then you you, you might come out of it thinking that was a good ride. But the idea... And, and some people go into it thinking they can make money out of it because they see how badly other clubs are run. and and Yeah. But, uh, yeah. There's only three ways you can make money out of a football club. You either invest in it to get promotion and then sell it in a higher division for, for more money. You really sweat the assets, you know, control the team and control the spending on the team and 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 hopefully, you know, sort of get all of the value out of the intellectual property and hospitality. Or you do well in player trading, you have a great academy and you 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 nurture talent and assets, which are your players. And then you sell them on, you know. Classic examples, you know, sort of Bryson and Southampton. Brighton's a great example because they do they do the they they do the middle one as well. They run the club very efficiently. They sweat everything they out they can from the club, but they've got a they're not they're not shy of knowing that they are a selling club and they but they they've invested sufficiently to get up into the top division, so that they've worked out and been successful in all three of those elements. Which is why they're they're now making so much money, but it's so easy to fail on any one of those.
1: Yeah, um, and, it, and it's great actually. I mean, seeing clubs like that, I think um, I think another great example of that is Brentford. We need to really see what's happened with that club, uh, but again, a proper community club who invests not only in their own infrastructure but in the businesses around them, and um, it, it's that that's that's the right way to do it. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and I think I think that's right, and and it's the motivation of the owners. Now there are different motivations for, for the really high-profile acquisitions that we're seeing. You know, why 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 do the Glazers not sell and cash in? And I and I, I it's because in their in their world of, of other business interests, everybody will take their phone call. Yeah. Because they own Manchester United. So if they've got an opportunity or they want to speak to somebody or they want to do some business somewhere else in the world. Because they're the owners of Manchester United, everybody will take the meeting or take the call. They're just some rich businessmen from Florida. Who are they? You, yeah, and and so there are there are strategic reasons around this sort of trophy ownership, but it, it's a it's a very very sort of tight knit club that you're joining, and it gives you access to sort of politics and and sort of global access. The that, the that, the. That, that other things can't buy and then, you know, then you look at the sort of Middle Eastern purchases, it's a drop in the ocean for, for the yeah. for, for the Abu Dhabi family that bought Manchester City or potentially the Qataris that buy United or the Saudis that have bought Newcastle. The actual expenditure is, is minimal, you know, it's like, I think the, all the money that the, the, the Abu Dhabi family have spent in on Manchester City could be accounted for by a, a two cent rise in oil over a Two week period. It might not even be that. It might be. It might be one cent over one week. But it's that sort of factor that. Yeah. It doesn't. It's so small, and that's over a sort of ten year period. And the amount of money they've spent in building stadiums and building the whole infrastructure around Manchester, and all it takes is just for a, a small change in the price of oil for a short period of time, and that accounts for everything that they've spent. So it's it's. It's relatively meaningless. But yeah, yet yeah. The access, the association that they get is 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 huge.
1: But uh, but the interesting thing I think is is the way that despite all of those funds in relation to City, for example, that they've taken the fans with them, whereas with United, clearly the Glazers haven't. Well, yeah. listen, Mike, this has been a fascinating insight into the world of buying buying football clubs. Um I could talk to you all day about this, but I'm guessing we better, better call it a day. So, so Mike Blood, thanks very much for joining us today.
0: John, it's a pleasure. No problem. See you soon.
1: If you want to contact me to discuss any of the matters we've discussed in this podcast or indeed in any other podcast, my mobile number is 07768 266036 or my email is john.andrews at jmw.co.uk. Speak to you soon.
0: The Deal Lawyer Podcast with John Andrews, powered by
1: JMW Solicitors.